Hello, listeners. You're enjoying the sounds of Never Seen It, a podcast about movies that we haven't seen yet. And yes, I'm going to giggle through this intro. I'm your host, Betsy. And with me, as always, is my co-host and my husband. It's Trent. Flawless. (laughs) You always tell me you want me to shake it up. So I've shaken. I've shaken it. I'm satisfied. (laughs) Today, we are making our way, continuing our epic journey of time travel to the 1980s. We are in 1982. And the movie is E.T., the extraterrestrial. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the bread and butter of why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Uh, we're, We're finding the movies that are somewhat shocking to the audience that one of us hasn't seen. This is one of them. This is one of them. And I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen... It's not me. (laughs) As per usual, it's not me. The big ones are usually me. Who has been missing this movie? Trent, darling dear, 40 years have passed that this movie has graced us with its presence. Mm -hmm. And you have never watched... E.T., the extraterrestrial. I have never sat down to watch the entire movie. No, that is correct. Now, it's unfair to say you've never seen... Parts. Any of it. Yes. So, I was born in 84. This came out in 82. So, it would be unfair for me to see it when it was new. So, <laughs> so if you did, you would have no recollection of correct, it. Correct, correct. E.T. was something that my cousins who I grew up with were really into... Um, you know, they, they watched a bunch of those, you know, Spielberg and like a a lot of the, um, the quintessential eighties movies. Like, I don't know why, but their favorite movie growing up was uncle buck is a movie (laughs) I've never seen before. Which is, isn't that from the nineties? I don't remember. I think it's 80s. Or maybe it's like just before. I think it's maybe pre John Candy (laughs) was a very big presence in in my house and their house. All right. But E.T. was not one of them that I was ever exposed to, even though I knew a lot about it. So obviously it's the alien. Obviously it's Spielberg. And the only actor that I know in this movie was a very young Drew Barrymore. Right. This was her start. I think this is her first movie, question mark? It has to be. I'm pretty certain it is. She's very young. I think she's like five years old or something. Yeah, she a baby. Yeah, she's very, very young. And I don't know that there's going to be anybody else you even recognize. Probably not. Probably Because most of these people didn't go on to have these blockbuster careers. But I think that's part of what makes this movie charming is... It's not chock-a-block full of stars. Yeah, you're not distracted by it. You can have it grounded in this family. Yeah. So what do you know about the story other than Drew Barrymore and an alien? (laughs) Yeah. So it's the alien. I don't think they ever give him a name. He shows up one day. Uh, Elliot is the kid. There are Reese's Pieces. (laughs) And uh, there's like government agents trying to find the alien. And he wants to go home. That's the gist of what I know about this movie. So you basically... I don't know how they got there. I don't know how they get back. I know they uh, ride the bike over the moon. They ride the bike over the moon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the logo like for Evelyn Entertainment yeah, it's to the, this day. Yeah, it's the zeitgeist things that I'm aware of, but like the story from beat to beat, from beginning to end, I have no idea. And this is a very early Steven Spielberg movie. Not his yeah. earliest, but certainly amongst them. It's the thing that them. made Spielberg be on the map for the general public. Uh, certainly in the 1980s. Like, yeah. he kind of showed up for a couple of things, you know, Jaws, stuff like that, yeah. in the 1970s. Yeah. He made Indiana Jones with Lucas right. in 1980. He, he and George Lucas were very much partners in this era because he and him both came up in the same era. Right. One of them stuck with Star Wars and the other one is Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Right. Yeah, one of them kind of stuck with their original idea and didn't really branch out much past that. And the other one is Steven Spielberg, who everybody knows one of their one of his movies. Well, and we could talk at length about George Lucas because, you know, he kind of got into technology and that became more of his thing. You know, what is it? uh, Skywalker sound skywalker sound and ilm and ilm were were his two who were and i would say those two companies probably uh contributed more to the film industry than the star wars films alone ever did because skywalker sound is used by a whole lot of different uh, companies 
not just film, by the way. It's it's uh, video games and TV shows use Skywalker sound. And ILM, again, is employed by a lot of different studios to do their CG work because they're very good. See, guys, we can always find a way to make these episodes about Star Wars. Of course! <laughs> but when we're not talking about Star Wars, we're talking about Spielberg. So yeah. this is not the first Spielberg movie we've watched. Mm -hmm. uh, we did watch West Side Story earlier this year when it was up for an Academy Award. Uh, have we watched any other ones? That immediately are coming to mind. I don't think so. He was involved with The Goonies, but he didn't sure. direct it. Yeah. I can't really think of too many other Spielberg movies that we've watched for the show anyway. Yes, I can't. We've certainly seen a bunch. Oh, no, I just thought of it. Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's okay. such a variety of his movies that yeah. I kind of forget sometimes that, oh, yeah, that's a Steven Spielberg right. thing. And Steven Spielberg doesn't really have a genre. He doesn't really have a you can't point to a movie and immediately think oh that's a spielberg joint and yet somehow you can there is an air about his movies but a only feeling, while you're watching it right when you're watching it you know when you're like rattling off a list it's yeah. harder to pinpoint but there's always a lot of heart yeah. i feel like in he his doesn't movies. have a genre but he's really never gonna do uh, a whole lot of like hard r movies no <laughs> Uh, for the no. most part, his stuff is very family-friendly, family-oriented. Grounded. Grounded, exactly. And this is going to be a really good example of that. I think you know enough about what it is we're going to go see, how you've managed to go your entire adult life <laughs> and survived, you know, a hundred different movie buffs not mm -hmm. cramming you into a room, locking the door, and making you watch this. <laughs> <laughs> you get to experience it for the first time with yours truly. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go and watch E.T. the Extraterrestrial. We will be right back. Trent, that was E.T. the Extraterrestrial, or as I like to call it, E.T. the E.T., because that is what this is. <laughs> okay. E.T. stands for Extraterrestrial. Why a child would know that, I don't know. No. But in any case, you have now seen it. Yeah. What is your immediate reaction? I get it. That was incredible. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah, it's so quintessential... Steven Spielberg, John Williams. John Williams, good God, man. It It's like real hard-hitting nostalgia about being yeah. a kid in the but 80s. But you know, you know what? Actually, it is timeless, though. It really also is because yeah. there's not a whole lot of technology to date it. Yeah. And it's just a simple story about a little boy who finds an alien. And you know, with all of the stuff about Stranger Things in the past few years... This stuff is very much in vogue now. I was going to say, if you didn't say it, <laughs> the first time... Listen, Trent and I have seen the first season yes. of Stranger Things. Yes. We have and not, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. We have not watched anything beyond that. It took us a year yes. to watch the first season. We'll get to it eventually. Maybe. But watching that show the first time, mm -hmm. all I kept thinking about was E.T. Yeah. And I haven't watched E.T. in many years. And watching it now, I was like, wow, yeah, the whole Stranger Things vibe mm -hmm. is just really hitting me hard today. <laughs> and yeah, uh, that's kind of what I was thinking about here. And with all of the fucking, the brands, there are so many brands all over this movie. And whether that's intentional or not, it doesn't matter. But it just gives the movie that much more character. I think it is intentional, Simply because of one particular product. Well, yeah. And that would be Reese's Pieces. Yes. Reese, Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces. Reese's Pieces. <laughs> <laughs> there is some contention about how to say it, but that is the correct way. <laughs> <laughs> at, least so, you, at least you don't say Reese's Pieces. No, don't do that. That's wrong. <laughs> so the thing about that, they were the second choice. They asked M&M's. Yeah. And M&M's said no. Bad move. <laughs> 
And Bad they, move. They immediately regretted it when this movie exploded. <laughs> and Reese's Pieces was like a podunk candy. Right. <laughs> Back right. in those days. And now this is what you always think about when I you think knew of that Reese's candy. Pieces about this movie. Yeah. Right. And you've never seen this movie. No. <laughs> well, the, the other thing was... Well, they reference it in Family Guy. The only thing I've ever seen, like referencing this thing about the Reese's Pieces, they try to get James Woods into a thing. They try to lead him somewhere. Trap him in a box. Try to trap him. Trying to trap him in a box. And they put the little pieces of candy in in a row, saying, "Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy." Ooh, piece of candy. And that's what I said while we were watching. (laughs) That's exactly what was happening. You know, if it was. Reese's peanut butter cups, that would work for you. I could, oh, yeah. I could lure you hey, somewhere. I like Reese's pieces just fine. So if I leave little piles of candy around, you're going to follow me. I would me. get upset. <laughs> I would get upset that you were wasting candy, but I would still eat them. <laughs> you're like, please put them on a plate if you're going to leave them around for me. Just put them in my mouth. Well, yes, but I'm trying to lure you in. I need to leave just a trail. Just ask me saying, hey, Trent, I got Reese's pieces <laughs> over here. <laughs> follow Hey, Trent. Shake, shake the bag. Shake the bag. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yes, there's a lot of other just 1980s products. Yeah. And, and none of them are really, like, anachronistic to 1982. It's just, like, the, the logo treatments on everything. Oh, yeah. The old, like, Coors cans yeah, the with pop the pop top. top. <laughs> the pop top Coors cans. Uh, like the old logos of um, like there's their, their TV was a Toshiba. I haven't oh, seen a Toshiba TV for I was gonna <laughs> like say, two decades. A, I have that's a name I haven't heard in a yeah. very long time. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of that stuff here, but again, that's definitely not integral to the plot. The only brand that really matters is the Reese's Pieces. Well, and there is technically. I don't know if you call it a brand, but a property that gets thrown around a lot in this movie that I, as a child, didn't process. But watching it now, I'm like, oh my God, the flagrant use of Star Wars references. (laughs) So if we hadn't made one in the intro, we sure could have done it in the episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because like Elliot is showing E.T. around his room and he's showing him his toys and he's like, and this is... This is Greedo, and this is Boba Fett. And Lando. And Lando, and they're little toys, and they can and fight. He's, and he's got a little uh, TIE fighter uh, figure on a shelf that you didn't, I don't think you even saw. I didn't even see it, Yeah, no. he's got a TIE fighter on his shelf. Uh, later on, there's a kid in a Yoda costume. Just blatant. Well, and his brother talks like Yoda. Yes. At one point in the movie. Yes. And these are things that, as a kid, I probably, like, process but didn't really think about the significance of them like i knew who yoda was i knew star wars i don't remember ever not knowing star wars And these two movies are only five years apart think about that yeah and it's so present day that these are kids who would have been obsessed with star wars so that is how grounded and realistic mm-hmm. Mr. Steven Spielberg was trying to make this movie. <laughs> well, of course, we mentioned it in the intro. These uh, George Lucas and Spielberg worked a lot together. In fact, I also mentioned ILM, Industrial Light and Mag- Magic, which was the George Lucas Lucasfilm uh, effects house. They did the effects for this movie. Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... A lot of the effects, especially near the end of the movie, were not very good. That's because now, in retrospect, now they don't look very good. We're also watching the 4K cut of this movie. Yes, and when you put that much detail into it, it just kind of doesn't hold up. But that's okay. It's 1982. I don't expect magic. No. (laughs) Haha, see, it's the name of the company. Anyway, (laughs) there's also another thing about this movie that I was watching for that I remembered... And I wasn't sure if I was going to pick up on it. But I looked into it more and I found out why. So in the way that George Lucas in the early 2000s, let's, he touched Star Wars. He touched it. He edited it. He yes. made some changes. Sure. Much to the chagrin of fans everywhere, especially since you can't get the original theatrical cut any Fine. longer. Fine. Same thing as that, in the same time frame, for the 20th anniversary of E.T., Steven Spielberg used digital touching up. Digital fuckery 
to change the guns in the agent's hands to walkie-talkies. Oh, I think I did hear about this. And he ultimately regretted it. Unlike George Lucas, who was like, fuck all the fans. I'm leaving it the way I want it. Yeah. Steven Spielberg actually had a second thoughts about that completely. Okay. And went back and changed it. Because in this movie, those guys are carrying guns. Okay. At the end of the movie, his mom is screaming, no guns, they're children. And there were men brandishing guns. Well, and I didn't really see like handguns in the movie. I didn't notice them anyway. But at the end, he is absolutely brandishing a shotgun. Right. The the men all have handguns. Okay. When they're... After they load up the van and escape with E.T. and they say, meet us in the park to their friends, they find the van empty and all of the men have guns. Okay, I didn't notice that. Yeah, and his mom is literally yelling, no guns, they're children. Hmm. But this is a scene that I assume he's talking about that he had had them touch it up and take the guns out and replace them with walkie-talkies. Then why even have the scene? Oh, exactly. Why, why just? Why don't you just take the entire scene out? Or you have to take that line out, too, yeah. because now it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But he ultimately regretted it and changed it back, which is why it looked like that in this movie. Okay. But I All was right. waiting for it. I was like, wait, I'm remembering this now. He touched this movie up, Yeah. but he took it back out. Yeah, I do remember something about that. So there you go. Even Spielberg has dabbled in that, speaking of special effects. But this one... For special effects at the Academy Awards. This got nominated for a buttload of Academy Awards. I can see why. And it was included in Best Picture. It won. John Williams fucking won. Which, this is an amazing score. Like, of the John Williams scores, they're all amazing. Yes. But there are some, like, really top-tier ones. And you could absolutely tell that he was very much in this era. There, there are different eras of John Williams. And I totally got Star Wars vibes out of all of this stuff. Because it's the same orchestra that he is conducting. Yeah. With the same instruments and the same tuning. They speak the the same same language. The same recording of it, because even that is very important for this era. If you were to have John Williams conduct the exact same orchestra with the exact same instruments as he did in 1977 or whenever he recorded those, it would sound different today because you're recording it with better equipment. Different equipment. Yeah. But he won for this movie. This was also the first year that they had special effects categories. Sure, Which okay, makes okay. sense because Star Wars, I think, won a special award for special effects because they didn't have one. No. But after that, there was kind of a catalyst to get one. Yeah. And this is only five years after Star Wars came out. It was out. a huge land rush to try to get, okay, what can we do to look like Star Wars? Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened after E.T. What can we do to, to capture that E.T. magic? So, yeah, this movie got nominated for... And one, the first like special effects, mm-hmm. visual effects, sound categories that yeah. existed. There's so many movies trying to do that. Well, now there are. Well, but in five years between Star Wars and E.T., yeah, a lot of different studios have really tried to catch up. Well, and they still have those categories. Like visual sure. effects, that's like all movies are now. True. <laughs> to some extent. And I always appreciate the movies that... Do it for real. Yeah, because special effects doesn't mean best CG. No, no. And if you look at a movie like Mad Max Fury Road, where they yeah. did most of those stunts in, and then just touched much it all up. practical. That's what they had to do in these days. Yeah. But they had a little bit of scenery where it's like the balls flying in the air. Sure. That was fake. Yeah. And the 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 spaceship, you know, obviously sure. they needed a spaceship. Yeah. And the children flying on their bicycles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So there's some cool stuff in here. And you take for granted that in 1982, that was like a fucking moment. Imagine being a small child watching this movie in the theater. Yeah. And you're hearing the swell of that fucking John John Williams score. And then Elliot takes off in front of the moon. Like, you would be 
flipping out. Like, yeah. it's such a simple little thing now. We just take it for granted yeah. how unique this was. And, like, <laughs> now you know that movies can be anything. You've seen however many Marvel movies. You've seen however many Star Wars movies. You're used to the fact that you can see pretty much anything on the screen. In 1982, if you saw something like this, it was very unique. Think about even... The Wizard of Oz going all the way back then when you could see all these colors. You didn't see colors back then on the big screen at all. Not that way. Not, <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Not, where, not the way they do it there so yeah. intentionally where it's black and white and then you sure. open a door and it's like, wow! <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to the moon scene on the bikes. So I had the thought while we were while we were watching it, okay, I want to know if there was, like, the committee that sat down to decide the question of whether or not Elliot should be pedaling the bike or not. I had that thought. I hadn't, like I said, watched this in a while. And it's funny, the things I notice now as an adult that I never considered before. Yeah. Especially now that we're doing this podcast and I'm kind of watching it with yes. more of an analytical eye. Yes. <laughs> yes. He is pedaling the bike. Yeah. Midair. Which he doesn't need to do. Oh, no. <laughs> but you know what? I think it looks better because that's what a kid would do. Well, it also would look really fake and stupid if he was just still. It would just look like a stationary thing. It would just look like thing. a stick in front of a light. Yeah. Like, I could do that. <laughs> Wee! Yeah. Wee! I'm flying from the moon. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what I was thinking there. Like, oh, that had to be some fucking committee that went through five different revisions of this scene when they finally decided on, oh, no, he needs to be pedaling the bike. He needs, he needs to pedal the bike. <laughs> right. But if anything makes you think of this movie, it's a red hoodie. <laughs> I guess. Kids you, in red hoodies. But you know what? When we were watching this, I didn't know this, this was going to be taking place on Halloween or near Halloween. I had no idea that the kid was in makeup. Like, I've seen that scene plenty of times in my life over the past 30 years. The gray, like, paint on his face? Yes. I had no idea that he had paint on his face. Well, for the Halloween scene, yes. When he's flying over the moon, you mean? Yes, yes, that one. Okay, got it, got it. Now I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know if it's just because it's kind of nighttime or they touch it up or they just don't show that or the part. fact that we've seen we, we see such a, a good quality version here we we rented the 4k version maybe so i don't know yeah it was little details like that the fact that he has rainbow colored uh shades in yeah, his bedroom that's so cool i never I noticed <laughs> that before but he like shuts the sh the blinds yeah. to bring et out yeah they're a multicolored uh, and the whole venetian room, blinds the whole room fills with like color like stained glass like yeah. in a church window yeah and there's it's so cool. much like warm light in this. Mm -hmm. It just looks so good in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Minus, you know, the 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 now what looks a little bit cheesy special effects at the end. But oh, sure. I can give that I, a pass. I dismiss that. That's not a big deal. <laughs> That's not a big deal. So another little detail that I hadn't really considered or really processed growing up is the significance of his mom reading Peter Pan to his little sister. I was going to ask you, I, I don't know what they were reading. She said, she said Tinkerbell. It was all okay. about the scene where Peter Pan is about to be poisoned. Captain Hook has left his poisoned his medicine. Okay. And instead of letting him die, Tinkerbell drinks the medicine and she dies. But that's where the, if you believe in fairies, clap your hands oh. and they, it brings her back to life. Okay. I haven't seen a Peter Pan thing for a long time. Okay. But that is what they're reading. All right. All right. And I didn't think much about it while she was reading it, but I was like, oh, she's reading her Peter Pan. But then I was thinking about it. You've got this magical creature who's mm -hmm. leading these children flying mm -hmm. through the air. Yep. And it's all about like being young and magic and hope. And, you know, he's connected to this creature. And it's like, there's kind of uh, some, there's some a little similarities bit there. There's a little bit there. <laughs> you know, the spirit of being young, I guess. Yeah. That's the whole theme of Peter Pan. 
and how time is going to get us all. And <laughs> got dark there, Betsy. Well, it's true. That's the, that's what Peter Pan is about. It's true. But this little boy, like, I think maybe it's just the flying element that really yeah. struck me. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. And do you believe in fairies and these children just wish so hard that he isn't dead at the end of the movie? Spoiler, guys, again, he dies, E.T. dies, but then he comes back to life. Betsy? Yeah, try it. Is E.T. Jesus? I mean, there is that scene where he's in the back of the van and he's wrapped in a cloak with his arms outstretched and he's got a glowing red heart. Sure as fuck looked like some Jesus symbolism to me. Oh, fuck. Like, I wrote down in my notes, E.T. standing here looking like Jesus. (laughs) It's the sacred heart thing. Like, if you've ever seen those where it's like a heart on fire. No. Yeah, that's like a, a, in religious iconography, in Catholicism in particular, the, the, the sacred heart is a heart surrounded in flames. Okay. But it's in the center of the chest. And that is not a mistake to have E.T. with this glowing red heart. And he's just been resurrected. And he's wearing a white robe. And he's like standing with his arms outstretched. That was not a mistake. All right. All right. E.T. is Jesus. That's canon. It's, there you go. All right. Um, I want to go back to just kind of the presentation of the movie. Because, again, this is actually 1982. This isn't some fucking, like, retro thing like Stranger Things. No, this just, was They're just present throwing day. in old stuff. This is very much present day. And I guess the, the, the movie starts off with a bunch of teenagers sitting at a table under a magnificent lamp. Did you notice that? The stained oh, glass lamp? The the 1980s Pizza Hut looking it's kinda lamp. It's kind of like the Pizza Hut it's lamp. It's a Tiffany lamp is God probably what it, it is. damn it. I want one of those Pizza Hut lamps, Betsy. <laughs> if, I want to put it in this listeners, room. Listeners, if you know what we're talking about, just look up Pizza Hut 1980s lamp. stained glass lamp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you can get us one... You will hook be us a, up. Hook us up. Hook you us will up. be our favorite person for the rest of eternity. <laughs> anyway, so they're playing like a, a D&D type game. I don't think they're actually playing a D&D game. They're not, but it, it's sort of modeled after that. Yeah, because so I there's think like there's a like a master. reference to a dungeon master slash game master, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Which, again, this is very much the Stranger Things connection. The first, like, 10, 20 minutes is really hard and heavy. (laughs) Yeah, so it's all the teenage boys playing, and Elliot's in the background because he wants to play. uh, And they they say something about, yeah, order a pizza, we're hungry. And we're, we're getting this idea here, that because Mom is also there, we're getting this hint that, hmm, it's just Mom. There's no Dad in the picture here. Correct. In 1982, we've talked about this before in another movie. I don't remember which one, but it's very rare to really depict a family of like divorced parents. And they actually say in this movie, they're recently separated. They're recently not even divorced. Separated. Yes, they're not divorced, but she's not wearing a wedding ring anymore. And dad is in Mexico with Sally. Sally. Whoever that is. That skink. <laughs> Homewrecker is what more like it. Yeah. And I was thinking about that, too. When I was a kid, I definitely didn't pick up on the whole divorce thing. Because as, like, a seven-year-old watching this movie... And they only reference it twice. They really do. As, like, seven, eight years old, I didn't understand the concept of divorce. I didn't know any divorced people. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen a lot of media that represented what divorce was. It hadn't been explained to me. So the whole movie... I was trying to figure out where dad was. My little brain is trying to fill out the puzzle. I always thought the agent who shows up at the end was dad. Like, I genuinely as a child thought Mm -hmm. that. I don't know why. Watching it now, it's like there is literally nothing to suggest that. (laughs) And he is literally the the, the first male adult face that you see in the entire movie. The entire movie. He's the first one. Yes, there's... And then the rest of the other people get revealed and whatever. But yeah, he's the first one. There's some fantastic filmmaking going on here. And yeah. Spielberg did this before. He has done this in a couple of movies. It's, it's the Charlie Brown effect. In particular, he did this in Indiana Jones, where he spends a long time introducing characters without showing you their face. Like the first time you meet Indiana Jones, 
You don't see his face for the first couple of minutes, mm-hmm. and then he comes out of the shadows. This movie, you're right, it's a it's a kid-centric movie. The only person that matters in their life, in their world, is their mother. Of course. And all of the other people are sort of irrelevant. It's all their friends and yeah. the, their, their, their classmates. Their you teacher don't even, doesn't you don't get even a face. See, exactly, you don't see the teacher's face. It is a dude, but you never see his face. So here's another fact about this. Initially... His teacher was going to be Harrison Ford. No shit. They were going to have him in there, and they actually, I think, filmed the scenes. But ultimately, after they successfully launched Star Wars, and this is, you know, a couple years after the second one, and it was becoming such a huge cultural thing, they were like, that's going to be really distracting and not contribute in any positive way to this movie. So they cut it all. Yeah. And they just have this faceless, nameless man as his teacher. Yeah. And I'm really glad they did because totally. in 1982, that absolutely would have been... Like, imagine the uproar in the theater if Han Solo came up on stage, if Indiana Jones right, showed up. Right, In this little movie with nobody of significance. You would be talking about that. You would be talking about that and nothing else. Yeah. It would have been the most ill-timed cameo to ruin a movie. Even if he they didn't show his face and it was but it was clearly him, yeah. it still would have been a distraction. Yeah. So I'm glad they didn't do that, but there's a there's a little nugget for you. All right. Uh, but back to the house. So we get Elliot going out to get the pizza from the pizza man, which okay, how old is Elliot do you think? I would say he's somewhere around 10, 11, 12. Really that old? I, I, I would know. say he's closer to like seven or eight, but maybe no, he's older than that. Okay, let's call him ten. We don't have children. I don't. Know. I don't know he's how, how old kids are. <laughs> anyway, for him, I, I would you go out and greet the pizza man and give him the money? I wouldn't when I was that age. Listen, we were talking about this the other day. We went out to dinner with some friends. Yes. And their daughter is in the second grade, and she looked dead in that waitress's face, and she was like, "Do you have Sprite?" I would like a Sprite. Like she ordered for herself. She, she orders was, for her. <laughs> I would never do that. And I told her straight up, good for you. Because when I was, a, when I was your age, I would never talk to, to the waitresses. And I think that's another element of Elliot's the middle kid. Yeah. He is in a, you know, dad's not around. Yeah. They kind of have to step up. Like they say, they're all rotating. Like who sets up for breakfast, right. who puts the dishes away, who does the dishes. And this is a recent thing. Yeah. And yeah. so I think it's more, he's kind of starting to grow up because yeah. he has to. Okay. So when that they're makes like, more sense. go pay the pizza man, he goes and pays the pizza man. Yeah. He may but not want to. then mom gets mad because they weren't supposed to order Who a pizza. Who told you you could order pizza? They use their own money. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just a couple other details about the house before we move on. When the the kids kind of all go out to the backyard where the tool shed is and all the other teenagers go out there, you could see some of the clothing that everybody was wearing. And sure enough, in 1982, bell bottoms are still a thing. Because this is the early 80s. Yeah. Which is basically still the late 70s. Still the late 70s. And kids that age would still probably be into stuff like that, maybe? I don't know. Well, part of it could also be circumstantial because maybe they're wearing older clothes. Yeah. Like they just, they're not a super wealthy family. Dad is out of the picture. They have one car. Well, I don't know about the wealthy family thing because (laughs) this neighborhood is incredible. But by the way, this is LA. This is LA or one of the many, many towns surrounding LA. They filmed this in Culver City, which is a suburb of LA. But you could also get a lot more bang for your buck in 1982. You're right, but th- this is kind of a new deve- a newer development, and like there, it's the whole thing about these are all brand new houses. There's no trees anywhere. I hate houses that don't have trees. I hadn't oh considered God. that, but you're right. This is a brand new development. Yeah, because there's not a tree inside. No, not that there would necessarily be that many. It is California. You're going to get like palm trees if you get anything. Still, you need to have something there. But anyway, that's that's just my little pet peeve about these (laughs) neighborhoods. But yeah, this this neighborhood is just 
weird. It's, it's set up weird. It's like an ultra cul-de-sac that just keeps on going. Windy, windy roads. Yeah, how the hell do you get out of this place? You don't. You're there forever. <laughs> <laughs> I can never leave California. This is actually a labyrinth, which is why they only go to school and back, and the, the oldest boy doesn't know how to get anywhere. Not that he doesn't, you know, know how to drive and has never driven there. It's because there is no way. <laughs> it's That's just, true. It's a maze. <laughs> Uh, also, one last thing about the house. There's a cornfield in their backyard. That is a little bit strange. I don't quite understand the layout here because they are in a hill. So they're on a hill. They show yeah. their house many times. They have to go up a hill to get to the yeah, driveway. I think about the Hollywood Hills. There's so yeah. many different hills around LA. And then behind their house is a another hill because there's a fence and a garbage can. Uh-huh. But then next to their house is a cornfield. Don't understand the cornfield. Uh-uh. Like, I, I mean, would understand, I understand if this was, like, Indiana, like, if we sure. went full Stranger Things, but this yep. is California, and they say it many times. Right. And I understand that you have the scene with Elliot and E.T. finding each other and screaming at each other, and I understand that there's maybe a little bit extra of a, of a reaction there because it is kind of creepy in a cornfield, but other than... The Children of the Corn reference. I don't know if that needed to be there. It's just weird. Why is it there was, a cornfield? Yeah. I don't know. Or just to, to demonstrate signify the time the season? of year. Yeah. Yeah, to signify the season. Yep. But I wouldn't know that if unless I lived in this part of the country, too. Where we have corn. Lots of We have of corn, it. and that's what corn looks like in late uh, September and October. It hasn't been harvested yet. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of creepy, when I was a kid, this movie scared me. Yeah. Like, this was a scary movie in many parts. Like, I didn't like the beginning, I didn't like the middle, and I didn't like the end. The end, especially <laughs> with all the fucking NASA dudes Faceless coming up. Faceless NASA astronauts yeah. coming in, and there's this spooky music, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of dark and shadows, and you don't see even E.T. for a long time. You just see, yeah. like, fingers coming out yeah. around the... This is a creepy movie if you're a kid. Yeah, and I wrote down in my notes, like, geez, this this is starting out really creepy. With him in the woods and the faceless men all with their flashlights mm-hmm. chasing after these aliens. And there's just light and keys jangling yeah. and they're all mystery men. And maybe that's what was so scary about it is you don't know who anybody is. Yeah. And especially as a child, you need faces. <laughs> you need to know who people are. You're told about stranger danger all the time. <laughs> right. And these are like the biggest strangers because you don't even have a face to go with it. Yeah. They could be anybody. And there's like surveillance vans listening in on conversations. I don't honestly remember them being astronauts specifically. I remember guys in like suits. Sure. I do not remember astronauts coming it into that house. straight up says NASA on their suits. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Like, is it just because those are accessible to them to be able to enter this foreign environment that could be contaminated? That's the only thing I can think of. I guess, but it's very dramatic when four astronauts start busting in and you just hear the the Darth Vader breathing, basically. Well, even like (laughs) the guy coming through the window. Yeah. And the the mother is like screaming, get out of my house! (laughs) Oh my God! There's so much screaming. That is crazy. Yeah, this... This was not an easy movie for me to watch as a kid. Like, I've seen this many, many times, and I could always get through it because once I got through it, I knew you know what's gonna what was going to happen. Yeah. Like, I don't remember the first time I saw this. As far as I'm concerned, I have never not seen this movie. This sure. is one that we had on yeah. VHS back in the days where buying a VCR was the, the yeah. new thing, and yeah. there was a limited number of movies you could get, but this was one of them you could get. Mm-hmm. That was widely available. Sure. And I'm sure this was probably one of the first ones probably. that they put out. Absolutely. Because when did that come out? 85, 86, something like that? I mean, v- VHS, uh, home VHS started in the early to mid 80s. Yes. So by late 80s, it started to become more affordable for families, to, like lower class families, to be able to afford them. I suppose. But yeah, we had this movie and I have seen it many, 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 many times. And I think I could get through it because the other parts where, like, E.T. is getting drunk and he's wandering around in a bathrobe and uh-huh. running into walls uh-huh. and dressed in drag. Right. <laughs> Give the man his dignity. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, there's so many funny moments and yeah, like, this movie's things hilarious. With, things with the kids, like you laughed when he's like, "Shut up, penis breath." Shut up, penis breath. <laughs> and the mom laughs and says, she's, "Don't she's, say that. Don't, don't do that. No, that's bad." <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's shit. a lot of funny kids being kids in this. Yeah, and before we even started doing this, I was questioning just a little bit whether or not I had ever seen this. And I watched this very intently, taking a, a, a lot of notes here. And no, I've never seen this movie. I, I thought I might have. I, I thought it's by the time I started to watch it or got into the middle of it, maybe I saw, no, nothing. None of this was ringing a bell. So you definitely hadn't seen this until today. Yeah. I understand you thinking that though, because there are certain movies, if you watched them when you were a kid, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How the hell would you remember? <laughs> exactly. And even if it was like an on-TV movie, I never sat down to watch it. Because mm. I'm sure this movie's been on TV many, many times. Well, there's a lot of movies I remember going to in the theater, but I can't remember a damn thing about seeing it. Like, I don't sure. remember the movie. I just remember the act of going. Yeah. That's the part of the evening I remember. Right. I remember going for my birthday. I went to see The Lost World Jurassic Park. Without ever seeing the original Jurassic and Park. And you would have been like a teenager when that came out. And I think that came out in 1997, question mark? So 97, oh shit, yeah, I would have been turning 13. If that was the case, I, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but yeah. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> but yes, you're right. I, I, I remember going to see that movie, but I don't remember a damn thing about the movie. I remember going to the theater and going bowling afterwards. <laughs> oh, geez, you had to go to a movie and bowling for your birthday? Yeah. Weren't you fancy? <laughs> yeah. It helps to have a, a parent that works at a bowling alley. Okay, that is true. That's fair. You just could go and hang out with your dad at the bowling Probably. alley. Probably. <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh, yeah. W- one more thing about the, the, the house that I have almost forgot. In the scene where they're cleaning up after dinner, Elliot is at the sink. And uh, he turns on the water and almost immediately there's steam just emanating from the sink. The water's so hot, Trent. In 1982, hot water heaters are much, much better. (laughs) They built things to last in those days, They really did. Just ask us who just had to replace a water heater uh, a couple of weeks ago. Versus our old house where, as far as we know, the old one is still there and it was older than you. Yeah. We bu- I bought that house in 09, and the water heater in that house was put in before I was born. And it still worked great. It still worked fine when we left in 2015. Well, it, talking about things built to last, you should talk to my grandma, who has a deep freeze. Yeah. That was a wedding present. Oh, my God. My grandma's 90, guys. <laughs> yep. My grandma was married in her early 20s. Uh-huh. That fucker's still kicking. <laughs> like, I swear to God, you could, like, it will survive a nuclear disaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's your bomb shelter right there. I, I'm not even It's probably lined with lead, and I'm going to die sure. one day because I've been exposed to it. <laughs> You're playing it when, when playing around it when you were a kid, right? Probably. I mean, it was in the basement. She's got like a creepy, unfinished cellar kind of a basement, so yeah. I wasn't around it that much. Anyway, <laughs> so that's it about the house. Uh, but speaking of like this era and whatnot, we we've mentioned it before, but the scene at the school where they're going to dissect the frogs. Oh, that was weird. <laughs> uh, I remember having to do dissections. But I do not remember it being anything like this, where you bring live fucking frogs into the into the, the classroom with these children. These are children. Yeah, these kids are too young to be dissecting things. And not only that, you have to see them pass out from fucking chloroform. So they're living. Yeah, you can see them living. They're hopping around. You put a little cotton thing of chloroform in there you get to see them pass out and then you get to dissect them alive yeah we got cadavers yeah i mean they these things that i got were already dead and already ready to go yeah maybe it's just because they didn't have those in 1982 maybe it's because a lot of like animal rights groups 
got their way uh, in the very least as far as like movies are concerned because well, that is a really traumatic thing. Again, as a kid, I didn't know what chloroform was. Yeah. But it's just like, so we're going to make the frog pass out and we're going to kill the, kill the That's frog? That's fucked up. We're going to kill the frog. That's fucked up. Like it's I one don't. Thing, I did not like that scene at all. It's one thing to cut up the frog. It's another to kill the frog. <laughs> right. You're asking these children to kill this living creature. Yeah. No. Unless the chloroform actually kills it. Because no. Well, I guess if it's, it's if it's on a little cotton swab, it's not going to kill it. It is going to have it pass out. I know, but that's really twisted. Yeah. These children would be. Like, serious PTSD from science class. <laughs> but I, I would. I wouldn't participate. Elliot, set them free. I yeah. am with you, son. Hell yeah. <laughs> but I, I, like, speaking of that scene, there was uh, one of the girls in that scene. The pretty I, girl. The pretty girl, quote unquote. I think is how, she, how she's actually credited here. Mm-hmm. The, the blonde girl apparently was in Baywatch. Yeah, I remembered vaguely. I asked her, I asked Betsy to look her up. You said she looks familiar, but as an adult. And I was like, I do remember, I think this person was somewhat famous. Yeah, she was on Baywatch, like a lot. She's in like 45 episodes of Baywatch. I never watched Baywatch, but I've at least seen her face. Yes. (laughs) Or you've seen her in commercials for Baywatch. Right. It was in syndication. It was on all the goddamn time. Of course. (laughs) Anyway. So also in in this same scene... It's revealed that, okay, these two characters are connected. E.T. and Elliot are connected somehow because E.T.'s back of the house and he's going through the refrigerator. Which, by the way, I have seen that refrigerator. That Everyone exact that one. Yeah, I've seen that exact one in my life. But, like, he's going through all the stuff, getting drunk. He found the Coors and he started to get drunk. And Elliot is in the, in the, in the classroom burping and, like, slumping down in his chair and... For a kid actor, that looks pretty good being drunk. <laughs> he, so they sort of touch on it a little earlier, but this is where they really solidify it, that yeah. Elliot feels what E.T. feels. They yeah. are connected emotionally. Like at the end of the movie when they're both not doing well, they're tied together to the, to the point their brainwaves are synchronized. Yes. Like when they're monitoring them on the equipment. Yep. But in the school scene, Elliot is like slumping in his chair, as you said. E.T. runs into a door frame and hurts his head. And Elliot reaches up and like touches his eye. It's <laughs> like, why does that hurt? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And that's just to demonstrate just how close these two are. And kind of, again, <laughs> is this another E.T. is Jesus sort of thing? Like they're emotionally connected. He can fly. He can do magic and bring things back from the dead. It's a whole thing. <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> well, I didn't think about it before. He yeah. can also, you know, probably turn water into wine. Um, <laughs> he can fly and he heals people. Yeah. We didn't see him walk on water, so. Yet. He's got little legs, but it's he true. runs really fucking fast. He just disappears on occasion. I don't quite understand the biology of E.T. No. He has really long arms. Really long neck. Well, he has a compactable neck. Yeah. That gets really long. Do his feet do the same thing? Because how else does he run so fast? I don't know. I feel like it would be really convenient if he could stretch out his whole body and he would be proportional. He also wouldn't be able to climb stairs or even like uh, descend stairs. He has no knees. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't know how that works, but it's not that kind of a movie. Let me just ask you that question. What do you think of E.T., the being? The being E.T. I don't know what you're asking because... How he looks. I think the, the puppet... The character, the okay, puppet. Okay, the, the puppet. The puppet looks incredible. I think there was a whole lot of work that went into that. And it helps that they showed him in shadow a lot. But there were a few scenes here where you got a really good look at him. And like all of the different mechanisms inside his face, you can see it all moving. And like, there's like bladders in his, in his body. Like his uh, body. brain moves and yeah. his eye twitches. His and there's mouth little, goes up and down. small movements. Yes. For 82, that looks really, really good. And I said it before and I will say it again. Just because you can computer generate something in entirety doesn't always mean you should. E.T., out of necessity, is a puppet. Yes. But he's an amazing puppet. 
So is Yoda. So is Yoda. If they made this movie today, E.T. would be completely computer generated and it would lose so much of the magic. Yes. Because he wouldn't really be there. Mm -hmm. The kids couldn't see him. To the point, Drew Barrymore, little bitty baby Drew Barrymore, (laughs) thought E.T. was real. And at the end of the movie, when she's crying and saying goodbye, it's because she really thought he was going away. Oh, no. Because she was so little and she didn't quite understand what was going on. Yeah. That is fucking devastating. (laughs) And that just demonstrates how real E.T. looked to her. Totally. I, I agree with everything that you said and about... Uh, practical effects and practical puppets and things like that. It is very important for the real for the realism, especially for kids' movies, because kids are smart. Kids know when things are fake. Think uh, kids know when something is CG and whether it's real or not. That's real. You can you can reach out and touch that. You can thing. see it and touch it. You can hear its little pig breathing. <laughs> uh, I would say that's more of a cat purring. More than a, than a there's, pig. Okay, there's some of that, but it's also that like short nose pugged thing. Yes. Where it's like, and can't really breathe. <laughs> sure. But I would say it sounds more like a cat when it's purring. There is a lot of that. I did, I did uh-huh. get that too. Uh-huh. But. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've touched on most of what we want to talk about as far as the actual movie is concerned. Yeah. There are two things I still want to cover and they're. I guess, what do you call it? The legacy, the impact of this movie. One of them I would like for you to tell our audience about. And that is the tie-in video game for this movie. Indeed. Trent, you know about this. And you knew about this well before this movie came out. Oh, yes. Please enlighten our listeners as to the existence (laughs) and... Oh, a little, infamy, a little bit of a backstory. The infamy of the E.T. video game. Okay, I was not prepared for this. Betsy did not tell me about that I was going <laughs> to be telling the story. I just thought about this, but I know you can yes. tell it because you know it. <laughs> yes. So this came out in 1982. What was very popular in the 80s? Video games. Atari in particular. The Atari yes. 2600 video game console. They knew they were going to have a hit on their hands with E.T. So they wanted to merchandise, merchandising, they wanted to merchandise the shit out of it because it's a kid's movie. How else do you do that when you don't really have like action figures and shit like that? Well, what's popular? You have video games. Kids love video games. So they, like the the studio went to Atari and they said, make us a video game. Now. Just snap your fingers, make us a video game. And for those not in the know, video games are incredibly hard to make. They take years. Even in 1982, when you could make a pretty good game in, let's just say, 9 to 12 months. But because the studio who was making the movie wanted to have this out like around the time of release... Like they, they, they were like showing it to screening audiences and whatnot. They know it was going to be a hit, but they wanted this thing to come out alongside the movie. So Atari went to their best programmer. I can't remember the guy's name. But they went to their best programmer and said, okay, we got this contract. It's a bunch of fucking money. Uh, this, this movie studio wants us to make this game. So make us this game. And the guy sat down and started to make it. He made this game in not 9 to 12 months, not 6 months, not 3 months. Betsy, they made it in 5 weeks. <laughs> and the game is horrible it's shit it is horrible it is like notoriously the worst video game of all time is what it's known as it's not an interesting story they like stole the skin from another game didn't they and just kind of built it over another skeleton something like that yeah so i don't want to won't even get into what the game is it is a branded et thing and they wanted to have some kind of tie-in and it's full of glitches and trash it's bad it's just totally bad it's not even like it's glitchy but it's just not fun you don't do anything it's Mm -hmm. you you can barely even finish it you're a tiny et that runs around and there are like little racist pieces and there are like federal agents who are chasing you that's it Mm -hmm. anyway so the game comes out alongside the movie and everybody wants to have it at first, but because of word of mouth, of course, there's no internet in 1982. Kids especially talk to each other on the playground. You could get one kid who got the, got the, the game from their parents and they would say to their friends, 
oh, I just got this game. It sucks. Don't get it. Yeah. And and it tanked. And it completely tanked. And because Atari and the movie studio expected this thing to just be a huge hit, they made millions of copies of it. So many. So many. <laughs> they put it in, into mass, mass production because it was coming out around the holidays. Everybody was, was going to have it. They had like TV ads for it. Come and get the new Cash ET video. Grab. Oh my God. But what happened, Betsy? Uh, it was such a failure that they took all the remaining copies and they literally took them to the dump. Yeah. They there buried is, them. There is a landfill was a landfill in what New Mexico, I think. Somewhere like that. Yeah, in somewhere in the in the southwest United States. Where they took all these recalled cartridges Thousands. that would not sell. Would in not the sell. box. In yeah, totally in complete in box. Not just the cartridges, the boxes, everything. <gasps> they took them, they recalled them, and they fucking dumped them. Because what else can you do with them? Yeah. And there's actually a documentary. It's a pretty good documentary yeah. about a group that heard about this game. Right. They've heard these urban legends yeah. and they had an idea, an inkling of where it was and they found them. Because yes, this actually did happen, but it was never confirmed until... It was an urban myth. Yeah. They just thought, yeah, oh, somebody heard from somebody. Oh, yeah, they recall those all those cartridges, and they just dumped them in a, in a landfill somewhere. Because that sounds what? really that sounds like the kind of thing they would do. Yeah, but you don't actually believe it because Atari did not want to have the shame of this thing or, or, or clouding their uh, their company or just sitting on shelves forever. Yeah, and in 1982, the video game industry was on shaky ground because. You know, you really can't do much with an Atari, and kids were kind of getting sick of them, and they weren't really getting any better. So, and this is, of course, uh, in 1982, the NES didn't come out until 85 in, in, in the U.S. So, there was kind of a gap in there where the video game industry in the U.S. completely died until the NES came out and revitalized it. So, what did they do with E.T., the video game? They buried it. They, they literally, buried it. literally buried it. Go find that documentary about it. It's really fascinating. Yeah, I can't Be remember what it's called, but you'll, you you'll can find figure it. it. You can figure it out. It's really fascinating. And it was because of their work. This documentarian did the work to find this thing. They weren't expecting to find it. No. At the very least, they were going to have a pretty interesting documentary on Talking its own. Talking to people about the game itself and right. the development because and the failure. Because it was such, such a thing for this industry. And yeah, because they found it, it was that much more interesting. So yeah, seek that out. Uh, anyway. But coming back to the movie, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I was reminded about it while we were watching this... There's the scene where Elliot is showing E.T. like, here's all my stuff and those are fish and here's mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. And he says, this is Coke. You drink it. So, uh -huh. of course, you got Coca-Cola product placement. Uh -huh. There is another movie that tried to cash in on the success of E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Uh -huh. And it's a little movie called Mac and Me about a little boy in a wheelchair who finds an alien. And I thought of this movie not only because we were watching E.T., but because the aliens drink Coke. They they live on a planet where they can just, like, shove a straw into the ground of the planet and suck up a fluid that apparently tastes like Coca-Cola. Right. And so when he crash, they I don't know if they crash land, but the, the parents, there's, like, a mom and a dad alien and then a little boy and a little girl alien. And I say this because they're very naked and, you know, lacking in genitalia. Uh, but right. they are indicating to the audience that that's who you're looking at. And they are terrifying, bug-eyed, wide-mouthed, <laughs> <laughs> creepy alien forms. And this little boy and the little boy alien become friends and they drink Coca-Cola. And As all, you do. all I can say, I have seen this movie many times because for some reason I was drawn to this at the local video store and we rented it over and over and over. And I don't know why, because the movie is arguably terrible. It is a bad movie, bad, bad movie. It is a ripoff straight up yeah. of E.T., it's made in the 80s, a few years after this one. Completely low budget. Low budget. No actors you would ever know. Poorly, terrible special effects, awful costumes, bad music, bad plot. It's a bad movie, okay? 
Uh, I don't remember much about it other than it's terrible. And I'm probably not going to watch it again unless I really want to subject you to an evening of torment. <laughs> oh, Betsy, we have a list of bad movies that oh, we are going to watch Shh. eventually. That's on the it's on the list. I'm not saying we're going to watch it for we'll that see. thing. We'll see. But it's on the list. It's on the list. If you guys want a taste of Mac and me, this movie <laughs> yep. lives on in infamy through one person alone. And that is... Well, two people. Well, specifically, it's Paul Rudd. Because yep. Paul Rudd loves to inflict this on Conan O'Brien. <laughs> yes. So just look up Paul Rudd, Mac and me... Conan, Conan O'Brien. Yeah. He shows him the same clip as often as he possibly can. He found a way to play that damn clip on his podcast, a non-visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> this has been going on for what, like 20 years? Maybe not quite that long, but since pretty, late night. Pretty, pretty long. He did it to him on late night. I don't know if he had a chance on The Tonight Show, but he definitely did it several times. Yeah. On TNT, on Conan, <laughs> and on his podcast. So, yep. yeah, just check that out. Don't watch the movie. Please, for the love of God. If you want to look up what it is, you can see what I'm talking about when I say these aliens that drink yeah. Coca-Cola are terrifying. And, and all I need to see is that clip to know that that movie is fucking terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's not worth your time. But bringing it back to E.T., do you have any other uh, final thoughts, anything else you wanted to bring up about this one? I'm glad we finally watched this. So, you know, we brought yeah. up, we're doing this thing about the decades, and we did 62, 72, and now 82. I think this is just a quintessentially 1982 oh, yeah. movie. It is, if, if you ask people to name movies from the 1980s, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find almost anybody who doesn't name this within the first five yeah. movies. And Betsy and I, when we were putting together all the movies from every year of each decade, there were a lot of movies in 1982 we could have chosen. Absolutely. But, Jesus, if we passed by this opportunity to make me watch E.T., <laughs> uh, we would not forgive ourselves. I would have been a very foolish, foolish yes, woman. <laughs> yes, There's plenty of other movies from 82 that we will eventually watch. But yeah, this was the choice. This it's is not, the choice. It wasn't even a debate. No, we. if you look at the highest grossing movies of 1982, E.T. Yeah. <laughs> it's E.T., guys. <laughs> Anyway, one final, final thought before we get into an email. Uh, did you notice the bike chase at the end of the movie was strikingly similar to the opening scene in Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift? <laughs> oh, when they're all chasing each other through a they're new development? They're chasing their each other through a brand new housing development in California. <laughs> this movie is far-reaching in its influence, Trent. And sometimes you Speaking find of it bad movies, in the least bad expected movies places. being inspired by E.T. I thought you liked Too Fast, Too Furious. No, Tokyo Drift. It's Tokyo Drift. Too Fast, Too Furious <laughs> is a hidden gem. <laughs> sure, Trent. Keep telling yourself that. Go listen to our Fast and Furious series if you haven't already. God damn it. Anyway, I'm done. E.T. is an awesome movie. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> well, I'm glad. So with that, we're going to throw it to an email. This is kind of a family movie, so we're going to do an email from Mitch about Coco. So we watched another family movie a few weeks ago with yeah. that one. Hey, guys. It is so awesome that you guys decided to watch Coco. That one is a family favorite and absolutely pulls at the heartstrings. So does this one. E.T. did. We love the music and listen to those songs quite frequently. It appears you missed why he gets sent to the land of the dead. Well, they say that he stole mm. from the dead, taking the guitar, mm -hmm. and that is why he gets sent there. So when he gets back and steals it again, he goes directly back to where he was like 10 seconds earlier. Yeah, and we did not catch that when we watched the movie. Stephanie also wrote us an email about the same thing. And yeah, we just didn't get that. Yeah, sometimes But it makes things, sense. It totally makes it sense. It totally makes sense. Sometimes I'm just so engrossed in what's going on, I don't see the obvious. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's taking from the dead as opposed to leaving them offerings. Fair enough. Uh, Mitch continues, in the pig podcast, you asked for suggestions for another thon. Well, I think you need to choose an actress for your next one. Yeah. I would suggest following is redacted for the podcast. <laughs> okay. We've thought we've thought about that. We've we've come up with some names, but uh, not anybody in particular here. 
Jeez, there's so many different ones Listen, that we could choose. We could do 50 years of Meryl Streep and never sure. run out of things to talk oh, about. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We could do Meryl Streep. We could do Glenn Close. We could do, I mean, like, there's so many Audrey Hepburn movies. It's yeah, it's ridiculous how many people we could choose from. Oh, that's why these kinds of marathons are really easy because yeah. those prolific actors, it's just like, it's just, it's a font to choose from. Right. And <laughs> it's a lot more fun fun not to denigrate any of the actresses but it's a lot more fun to do the dudes because the dudes are what have been allowed to do ridiculous movies that is fair but he does have one final thought i really think you could get some interesting perspectives from the actress side of things and i think there are some actresses yeah that kind of get to be dudes sometimes yes yeah, i'm totally <laughs> into that so i think it would just be Picking the right person. Yes. And it will come to us. It yeah. will do it eventually. Yeah. We always have discussions about what we want to do here. And like past, oh, let's just say the end of October, we don't really have anything planned. So yeah, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. see. But he finishes the email. Great choice of movies lately. Way to go. Mitch from Saskatoon, Canada. I say it that way because he put in a lot of, Ellipses. Ellipses. <laughs> but <laughs> Thanks, if, Mitch. Thank you, Mitch. If you would like to be like Mitch and send us an email and tell us how you feel about E.T., the year 1972, the year 1962, uh, if you would like to tell us about a movie you definitely know you saw in the theater but cannot remember a damn thing about, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of things you can email us about. We want to hear from you. So email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, NeverSeenIt underscore pod. We're also now on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to message us on there, you can do that in lieu of an email. Yep. We accept all forms of communication. Those pages are NeverSeenItPod1. That's the number one. You can also support the podcast by following the link in the podcast description. Or just share any of these posts with your friends and tell more people about what we're doing here on Never Seen It. Hell yeah. With that being said... We will continue on this journey on the next episode. We are moving into the 90s. We will be in 1992, a mm -hmm. year that we actually were around for. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Move, moving forward, we will have been present and accounted for, but we may get a pass for not having seen everything in 1992 because we were like seven years old. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, but for now, this has been Never Seen It. I have been Betsy. And I'm Trent. And we will catch you in the 90s. <laughs>